Morning. Okay. So yeah, about half a month, or a month and a half ago, Yeah, I think so. <laughs> we actually had a discussion about beards and microphones last night. It's kind of funny. Um, about a month and a half ago, uh, I'm just going to hold it like this. <laughs> we want to do it that way? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's going to, we'll have to figure that out. No one told me to shave. There, I don't think that was a problem. <laughs> I think. So yeah, Pastor Mark asked me to uh, give a sermon on January 1st. Um, I responded by asking him to give me a week to think of a spiritual sounding reason to say no. <laughs> Obviously, I didn't think of one. Um, my main concern, or if I'm being honest, uh, my main fear was that I'm not a preacher. I don't know what I'm doing up here, right? Um, but still, I was considering it, and... Uh, as I'm considering it, this thought pops into my head, well, you know, Stephen wasn't a preacher either, which was immediately followed by the thought, and everything went okay for him, right? Um, in case you don't know the story of Stephen, and I, I know you're not supposed to explain a joke, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, he was one of the first church deacons. He was put in charge of feeding poor members of the church. Um, basically, he ran a soup kitchen preaching and, you know, doing some miracles on the side, that kind of thing. And then uh, the one sermon of his that we have recorded, he actually uh, presented this in front of the religious leaders that had killed Jesus, and they responded by dragging him out of the city and killing him. That's the joke. Um, so why am I explaining the joke? Well, honestly, I actually did have that thought process, um, and I kind of wanted to, to have you kind of follow that thought process along with me because that response I had in my head, well, everything went okay with Stephen, right? Um, that kept repeating in my head, but it didn't sound so funny when it repeated itself. I'm going to say it again, but I'm going to ask it as kind of a, a serious question, not a punchline this time. Did everything turn out okay for Stephen? Good, you already know the answer. We're going to come back to that in a minute, but... <laughs> Not in a minute, in a few minutes. But So today's January 1st, which obviously brings to mind New Year's resolutions. That's kind of an obvious uh, uh, topic for this. Uh, and as, um, you know, New Year's resolutions, it's the idea that, you know, this year we're going to take life seriously. We're going to do more, you know, we're going to do important things. Probably losing weight is somewhere in there as well. Um, and uh, thinking about New Year's resolutions, the question occurs, um, would, New Year's, would a New Year's resolution be different for a believer than it would be for a normal person? Should it be the, you know, the same sort of thing, or should we have different sorts of resolutions uh, than, than non-believers? Um, and I think there's a good answer to that question, otherwise I, I wouldn't have asked it. Um, and I think a good starting place for that answer is in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I, I don't have any slides because I have no clue how to do them but you've got your Bible, so you can follow along with me. I think on the back of the uh, bulletin, there's a list of the verses, so you can get ahead of me if you want to. Uh, but Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, 
holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Um, now, there's a lot that comes before that therefore statement, and we're kind of stepping into a book midstream by reading this out loud. But I think we can summarize the story so far. So, um, in the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul's been explaining that everyone is sinful and nobody is able to be justified by God, uh, before God by their own merits. Um, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God is a good kind of summary of that uh, idea. Uh, therefore, salvation comes only through God's mercy and grace. Uh, he goes into detail explaining that all of our good deeds do not justify, nor have they ever justified anyone in history. Uh, he gives some historical examples of, uh, from the Old Testament, I guess you'd call them like the great heroes of God's people, and shows how they were all justified not by works, but by faith. Okay? Uh, one could sum up the central thesis of those first 11 chapters of Romans with the statement, you are saved not through obedience to the law, but through faith in Jesus. After that comes this therefore statement. Um, so to kind of summarize the, the, the verse we just read, verses we just read, uh, because Jesus saved you out of his own grace and mercy, not due to any good thing that you did, but simply because you had faith that he would save you out of his own grace and mercy, therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, and rather than being conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you do this, you will prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Um, so there's two statements there. Present your body as a living sacrifice, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, um, and they're kind of bundled together, um, and, and there's a good reason for that. Um, they both follow from God's grace and mercy. These are the natural you know, outcroppings of that. Uh, don't be conformed to this world. Why, does it need, why do we need to be told that? You know, because we were all sinful. Um, we're part of the sinful world that had turned away from God. Uh, and now that we've been saved from our sin, we need to give up the old way of being, right? Uh, we need to no longer be conformed to this world. Rather, we should be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Uh, we need to fill our mind up with truth rather than the lies that the world believes. And then as we understand the truth of who God is, who we are, what he's done for us, the natural, reasonable reaction is that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. So there's your New Year's resolution, right? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, renew your mind. Easy enough, right? <laughs> so um, here's what I'd like to do. Let's look at a, a good example of uh, these principles at work in, in, in real life. And we're going to find that uh, in Acts chapter 16, Okay. Uh, in this chapter, we got Paul and Silas. They're traveling around with a group of missionaries, and they arrive at this uh, city, Philippi. When they get to the city, they're arrested and thrown in prison for casting a demon out of a fortune-telling slave girl, as you do. Um, so the story here is this girl's been possessed by this demon who's somehow given her the ability to tell fortunes, uh, and her fortune-telling was a good source of income for the masters. I'm kind of summarizing the first part of this chapter. Um, and Paul and uh, Silas come in, they cast out this demon. Now the, uh, the slave owners, they've lost a good portion of their income, okay? And they're not happy about that. If you scoot down to verses 20 to 24 of chapter 16, we're going to see what their response was to having this loss of income. What am I doing? Up higher? I'm very loud, I, okay. Okay. Um, 
And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened them their feet in stocks. Okay. So here's the story. Paul and Silas have just saved a girl from demonic possession, and their reward is an angry crowd, a beating, and a night in a prison cell. Okay? With their feet in stocks. That's not cool. <laughs> uh, they should have been thanked for doing something good, right? Um, I, you know, they shouldn't have been punished. In fact, if you think about it, they should have been rewarded, okay? Um, that would only be fair. You do the right thing. You save someone from a demon, okay? And God just stands aside and lets the bad guys beat you and throw you in prison and treat you like some sort of criminal. How is that right? How is that, you know, God being good, right? Which is exactly how a mind conformed to this world would perceive that situation, right? So how did Paul and Silas respond? But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. How is that possible? Okay? What could they possibly have been thinking? Where did an attitude like that come from? Right? Uh, well, they didn't see things in a way that was conformed to this world. This is the sort of thing that comes from having a renewed mind. If we could ask Paul at the time what he was thinking how he could sing and praise God after being beaten and locked in a Roman prison, uh, he might say something to us like what he said in Romans 8, verse 31 and 39. Paul gives a description of exactly the mindset that he's got here. Um, think about what he's saying here and compare it to his response to being beaten and imprisoned. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for all of us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul knew who God was. Okay? He knew what he had done. He knew he came to earth as Jesus Christ willingly allowed himself to be tortured and killed uh, in order to save us from our sin, and that is what he is ready to do because of his love for us, okay? Paul knew that due to that sacrifice, our sins are paid for, and we're no longer subject to God's wrath. God is not seeking to punish his children, okay? Because they are forgiven. God did not allow this to happen because he was mad at Paul. He didn't allow it to happen because he was indifferent to his suffering. Uh, he didn't allow it to happen because he was powerless to prevent it. Paul knew all these things, okay? God had proven in the past that none of these things were true. He knew that wherever he was, whatever happened, God was with him, and that God had plans for good and not evil. He knew that, God would not be, that he would not be separated from God's love by tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or the sword. He's checked like five of those boxes just in this situation, 
okay? Um, and here I think is, this is the big point. God's love was the most important thing to him. It was more important than anything he was going through. Look at, look at the, this uh, verse in Romans 8, or this, this section of verses in Romans 8. He's talking about all these bad things happening to him, and what is his consolation at the bottom? I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That's what he cares about. Not that these bad things are happening, but am I separated from the love of God? That's what was important to him. Okay? They couldn't touch the one thing he valued the most. In fact, they let him take it with him into the cell. And that was the love of God. Also, he likely knew that when the Roman authorities previously tried to lock up Peter, it didn't go very well for them. You know, he's seen that as kind of a historic example of what God does. I like to think that Paul and Silas were sitting there in the prison going, I wonder what God's got up his sleeve this time. This is going to be awesome. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. They were seeing things from an eternal perspective. Okay. They were acting like they were the beloved children of the God who created the universe who would spend forever in his presence, who are willing to experience some temporary unpleasantness in his service, knowing, that, knowing what they had waiting for them uh, all through eternity. They were living in the real world. Okay? So here's a question. And this may be, this may be a question that Paul was thinking to himself, although I don't think he was thinking it rhetorically. If God wasn't angry or indifferent or powerless to prevent these things, why did he let them happen? Like I said, Paul may very well have been thinking that, but I don't think it was a rhetorical question for him. I think he was actually considering that. Why am I here? Because God could have prevented this, and he didn't, so there must be a plan. If we read a little further, we're going to see exactly what happened as a result of these two men with transformed minds offering themselves as living sacrifices. This is verse 26, is where we're starting back in, in uh, Acts. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out, saying, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all of his family were baptized. Now when they had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all of his household. This is interesting right here, this, what, what happens next. So God sends an earthquake, opens all the doors of the prison, and, call, and their chains fall off. They're free to go, and what do they do? They stay. They don't leave the prison. They stay right there, right where God put them. Why would they do that? Well, look at what they knew. They knew God wasn't indifferent. They knew he wasn't powerless. They knew that, they, that he didn't want, uh, his plans weren't for evil for these men. They can leave whenever God wants them to, okay? Nothing to fear. So if all those things are true, again, why did God bring us here? Let's wait and find out. Let's see what God wants us to do. 
And at the end of the passage, we see exactly what God was planning. You see, there was this jailer in Philippi who was ripe to receive the gospel. And God brought these two men to him so that they could witness the power of God and believe. So do you see how Romans 12, 1 and 2 kind of play out in this whole scenario? These two men did not conform to the world. Their minds have been renewed and transformed, and they were willing to offer their bodies as a living sacrifice. And as a result, they proved the acceptable and perfect will of God. In the end, they showed that God is faithful and sovereign and powerful. So, I said I would come back to the question about Stephen, which you all got right. (laughs) Did everything turn out okay for Stephen? Yes, he was the beloved child of God, just like Peter and Silas, joyfully serving his Lord without fear, because he knew that regardless of what happened, he would be in God's presence either on earth or in heaven, and knowing that he had nothing to fear. I think things turned out pretty well for him. You see how the story looks different when you look at it with the right mindset, with the right worldview. So, question, how do we get there? How do we learn to live like that and see the world that way? You read the Bible and you pray. If that, that's it. That's, you read the Bible, you pray. If that sounds like a uh, you know, mundane and anticlimactic answer, tough. It's the truth. It shouldn't, it shouldn't seem like a mundane answer, though. It shouldn't seem anticlimactic to hear that. It's funny, um, it's funny how some ideas are too big to fit in our heads. Okay, $100,000 is a lot of money. $100 trillion is a short collection of words. It doesn't mean anything to us. If I were to tell you uh, that I've got a baseball signed by Babe Ruth, Wow, that's amazing. That's, oh, that's you know, such a precious treasure you have there. You need to, you know, can I touch it? You know, that, that's our response. If I tell you I have a book that was written by God, well, that's nice. <laughs> it doesn't really have the same impact to us when it should blow our minds, okay? You see, Paul and Silas, as well as the rest of the first century church, uh, all these people that were persecuted and hunted down and suffered all kinds of hardship, they didn't do it for a principle, although certainly they were principled. Um, They didn't do it for a theology, although correct theology is important to have. Um, They did it because they knew God. They had a personal relationship with him. Uh, And you can't have a relationship without communication. You can't have a relationship with someone you're not talking to. Um, and how can you, how can you have a relationship with God and how can you talk to him? Well, you have the Bible. That's how he talks to us. And you pray. That's how you talk to him. Reading the Bible and pray is how we establish this relationship. Um, Jesus himself pointed this out in, uh, book of John chapter five, verse 39. You search the scriptures for in them, you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. Jesus own words. The Bible is about me. If you want to get to know me, read the Bible. If we follow Christ, we should know him, right? Obviously, you can't have faith in someone you don't know. Luckily, he's given us a means by which we can know him, his word. Paul said it quite succinctly, which is very unusual for Paul, uh, in Romans 10, verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In order to have the kind of faith demonstrated by Paul and Silas and Stephen and so many others, um, they had that faith because they knew the word of God. 
Paul says so right here. It seems like a simple thing and something that you've likely heard many times before, but it's so central to our faith uh, to living the life of a servant of God that I don't think it can be overstated. You were created by God for a purpose, and you've got your instructions right there in your hand. Okay, uh, the Bible repeatedly describes us as soldiers in an ongoing battle. Those are your marching orders. Okay, you want to know the meaning of life? God had it transcribed for you, which is very convenient. Um, it's easy to, for us to fall into a trap of dividing our lives into our spiritual life and our normal day-to-day life in the real world. And that's the second time I've used that phrase, real world. And if you're still paying attention... <laughs> Uh, you'll notice that I used it in two contradictory ways. Um, People, when they talk about the real world, they're generally referring to the down-to-earth, everyday, non-spiritual, non-religious portion of our lives as if such a thing even existed, which it doesn't. Uh, When we think about our lives in that way, it's difficult for us to wrap our heads around commands like the one given in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray without ceasing. How, How am I supposed to pray without ceasing? Like constantly, all the time? Am I supposed to go through every day as if Christ is like right there with me constantly? Like every single thing I do is in service to him? Like the whole purpose of my life is just to serve the Lord continuously? Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Because that is the real world. Um, The reality is you're immortal creatures who have been placed in this world for a tiny fraction of your lives in order to accomplish things that you'll never get a chance to do again. You realize that? The, 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 okay... There's a saying that's, well, I'll get to that in a second. This life's the only time you're ever going to get to share the gospel with an unbeliever, for instance, okay? Um, It's the only chance you're ever going to get to suffer for the sake of Christ. There's not going to be any suffering when you're in his presence. This is the only time you're going to get to do it. Um, The old saying, I'm going to finish this for me. There's only two guarantees in life. Death and taxes. You understand that's a lie. That's not true. I can think of two examples in the Bible where death wasn't guaranteed. So there's that right off the bat. I can't, I, I can't say anything about taxes. Um, they seem pretty you know, ubiquitous. But um, as believers, we have so many more guarantees than just that. Okay? We are guaranteed eternal blessings from God that are beyond our imagination and are going to last forever. This is our guarantee. You know, you want to enjoy life? I promise you it's guaranteed. You may have to wait a bit. You may not. Um, But those are the guarantees you have. Okay? Um, And we've been given this unique opportunity before the party begins to serve our Savior here on earth, service that he's promised to reward us for in all of eternity. That's the real world. That's how reality really is. So that's my suggestion for the new year. Read your Bible and pray. However you go about it. There's a lot of ways. You can go, go online, Google one-year Bible reading plan or whatever. Find all kinds of things to do it. If you want to just read four chapters a day, starting in January 1st, read four chapters a day, you'll get through the Bible before the year's out. You can go to one chapter a day once you get to some of the Psalms because they're long. Um, if you want to study the Bible with others, we've got a lot of Home groups, a lot of uh, small groups that you can get, in, get involved in. Uh, Monday night, 7 p.m., the Lee House. It's one example. <laughs> uh, if you go look at that list in the bulletin, you don't see one that uh, is convenient as far as time or place, talk to Stuart. 
uh, he can help you start your own. Um, but, but take this very seriously, okay? This is something you need to take real seriously. It's not just a good habit. It's not a method of self-improvement. It's not just a chance to have a quiet time in the morning and prepare yourself for the day. It is God speaking to you, revealing himself to you, transforming you into the person that you are meant to be, and the relationship facilitated by this communication between you and God. Uh, that's the most important relationship you're going to have in your life. And when I say your life, I mean your whole eternal life. It's not just 60, 70, 80 years. This is going to be the most important relationship you have for eternity, and it's something you need to take seriously. Okay? Um, I'm short, I talk fast, <laughs> but that's all I have to say. Uh, Lord, I... I Thank you so much for giving us your word um, that, that you actually came down to tell us uh, what to do, how to live, uh, that you introduced yourself to us and you gave us a chance to know you back and, and, and for our life to have meaning. And I just pray that you would uh, help us to see things the way they are, to, to, to keep our lives real and to understand who we really are in relation to you. And... Uh, uh, and, and to take this life seriously uh, and to continue our relationship with you, speaking to you and, and, and hearing you speak to us. In your name, amen.